Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Hi everyone and welcome to another sauntering podcast with me Paul White. Today I want to think about something which is very topical at this time of year with Easter and everything. I want to think about Jesus and the cross. And I think for many people, the cross is a ghastly offence. It is a challenge to everything that we would like to think about Jesus. And Jesus, for many people, is a very attractive person. He appears to be the friend of the outcasts and the people who are overlooked by society. He takes care of children, he takes care of prostitutes, he takes care of people with incurable diseases, and he is just beautiful. And he says all these incredible, timeless truths. He teaches a way of love and sacrifice, and he really is extraordinary. And he stands head and shoulders way above all the other world leaders and all the other beginners of religions and philosophers and all these other things. And many, many, many words of Jesus are just in our common everyday usage now. And even some of them have been kind of, it's been forgotten where they came from because they've become so universally accepted as truth. But there's something about Jesus that always stands out as an offence, and that is this bloody cross, this blood-stained instrument of torture and capital punishment that speaks of a very barbaric age, which we think we, we'd like to think we've moved away from. There's something so uncivilised and so unwestern and un just unfriendly and nasty about this idea of a cross and the idea that this incredible person should somehow be nailed to this cross is a really challenging thing for us and yet it's become an icon of christian symbolism and so on for centuries and centuries now that it's almost over familiar and so we get used to seeing a cross hanging around somebody's neck we get used to seeing a cross on the top of a building or at the front of a church or something or on a notice board we get so used to this but this don't we should never forget that for the first century um, person living in the first century the cross meant one thing it meant a brutal death a brutal execution and as we look at Jesus we realize that the cross wasn't just something that happened to him 
at a most unfortunate time, at the pinnacle of his career, the cross was something that was in his heart and in his thinking all the way through. And so Jesus began to talk about the cross pretty early on. And he spoke to his disciples and he said, listen, unless you are willing to take up your cross and follow me, you, then you're not worthy of this kingdom that I'm talking about. You, you This is actually part and parcel of this whole deal that I'm teaching and preaching about is that my followers would follow me even to the point of death, even to the point of sacrificing their own lives for the sake of this kingdom. And there was one time where one of his best friends, Peter, said to him, Jesus, no way, stop talking like this. Let this not happen. Let this... (laughs) He, he literally tried to persuade Jesus not to go through with the whole Jerusalem and cross thing. But he wanted to somehow what he considered spare his friend from this horrible death. And Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. You are actually a serious hindrance to me. You are a stumbling block to me. You're not thinking about the things of God, but the things of men. You're actually you've got your own agenda. You're a dangerous trap to me, Jesus said in one translation. He had his own agenda, which was for Jesus to remain popular, to carry on climbing in popularity and growing in popularity and for his aims and objectives to be accomplished without having to go through with this horrible thing. So Jesus actually pushed him aside in the most vehement strong terms possible by calling him satan and i'm sure peter is like oh oh man i'm your friend how can you call me satan that's so horrible and yet for jesus this mission to go to the cross was the absolute thing that was driving him forwards all the way through his life and the cross casts a long shadow over him so what i want to try and do is just think about why we even need the cross What is the point of it? Why is it so central? Why does it feature so much in Christian thinking? And how do we get past these stereotypes? Because I think for many people, we think of the cross and we think of kind of like Christianity in that formal sense, the religious practice of Christianity. We think of maybe archbishops and all these people in robes processing up through Westminster Abbey holding this golden cross or maybe something like the mission film where the monks are in this in South America and they're attacked and they try to hold on to these crosses that are considered so valuable and yet the cross that Jesus was nailed to was rough and ready it was just two planks nailed together or somehow fixed together and hauled into the ground with Jesus hanging off it by brutal nails from his hands and his feet. And there's something going on here which is not about religion. This is about an individual human being. And yet we read that he is not just a human being, but he's God in human flesh. So this is something, this picture... of the crucifixion is actually not just a human being. It's not just a man of 33 hanging from a wooden cross, but it's literally God himself. Jesus said to Thomas, he said, if you've seen me, 
you've seen the Father. Why do you ask to see the Father? Have you seen me? You've seen the Father. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And then that same Jesus would go all the way up the hillside with this cross on his back and would allow himself to be nailed to it for the sake of the human beings that John the Apostle tells us Jesus was there at their creation. God the Son, Jesus, was there at their very creation at the time when God created human beings. Jesus was there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and he's there at the very beginning making all things come to being. And this same God is here in human flesh, in a human form, being nailed to this cross. Why? <laughs> Everybody is just like, why? Why is this important? Why does this happen? And to understand, we have to go back in time and take a look at the very beginning of the story where God made the man and the woman and they lived in this beautiful environment. They lived in this relationship with God, which had nothing between it, where God met with them and walked with them and they enjoyed God and they were intimate with God and he was close to them. And then one day they took this decision that somehow God was not as good as they thought he was and that somehow God was withholding something that was even better from them by saying they should not eat from this particular tree. And so we know the story. Eve takes the apple. Adam also eats the apple and together they share in this act of rebellion. And it just seems so trivial that it should be over an apple. It probably may not have been an apple at all over a piece of fruit. It seems so trivial that that would be this act of rebellion that would plunge the whole human race into a kind of alienation from God. But that was the thing that drove the wedge between the human race and God. And then we see God pushing them out of that place of intimacy and saying, this now is closed to you because of the choice you've made. And now this garden is closed to you. But actually, you have made yourself kind of, you've opened yourselves up and there needs to be some payment for this. And we hear of God taking the skins of some animals which he had killed himself and covering Adam and Eve, covering their nakedness. And that's an early picture we have of God making a kind of provision to do something that theologians now call atonement, which is where our sins are actually covered over. And so we have then, as we go through the Bible, we have in the Old Testament a picture building up of a sacrificial system, which we understand begins, we see it beginning with Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve, and, and uh, Abel brings a sacrifice that God is pleased with, where he actually kills an animal. Now, even just talking like this is offensive to our 21st century Western mindset. We think, oh God, how could God want animals to be killed? How could God want <coughs> blood to be shed? 
for the sins of a human being. It's nothing to do with that animal. But that's the whole point. This is building a picture in our understanding. He's building a sense of frustration and kind of Oh, this is this, surely there's something wrong with this picture that God could require the death of an innocent animal to pay for the sin of a human being. That seems so wrong. And we we want to campaign for animal rights in the, in the, the sacrificial system and say, God, come on, you made these animals. Why are you making them pay for the sins of a human being? But then if we go through the history of Israel, we discover that this becomes a a requirement that God sets in the law, that where sin, where people cross that line and they say, I'm going to do it my way rather than God's way. And because sin really is the whole picture of our failing to hit the mark of God's righteousness. And it's like God's righteousness is way up here in the stratosphere and our best efforts to to reach it are way down and have completely failed. And so that there has to be something done about this gap. There has to be something done to close the gap between God and human beings. And so the sacrificial system is set up in the Old Testament law and priests perform these duties and worshippers come and bring an animal and is killed. This innocent lamb is killed and their sin is said to be covered or atoned for by that action. And this is a difficult idea, but it makes sense of the cross. And so we have then Jesus appears on the scene. And what does John the Baptist, the forerunner, say? So John, Jesus's cousin, is baptizing people in the River Jordan. And he's saying, you guys, you need to get ready because God's doing a new thing on the earth. You need to turn from your old way of thinking and embrace what God is doing now. That's called repentance. You need to repent, turn away from your sinful lifestyles and get ready to receive God but when he looks up, because he had a, he, this John was very popular and he had this big following. Lots of people were going out into the desert to find him, to hear him preach, to get baptized, to make their hearts ready for whatever it was God was about to do. And then one day John looks up and he sees Jesus and his statement is this. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And in that little statement. John has summed up the whole point of the sacrificial system and the whole point of Jesus's life. He says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, a lamb was the sacrifice on the day of atonement and on the day of Passover and all these different things. There was a a lamb was sacrificed for In fact, Day of Atonement, it was a bit more complicated, but certainly on the Passover, there was this thing uh, where a lamb was sacrificed to cover the sins of that particular household. And John is looking at Jesus and saying this, ladies and gentlemen, right now, in full view of you, this is now what God is doing. You know about the sacrificial system. You know about bringing a lamb to pay for your sins And now God has provided a lamb and this is him, this Jesus, who I'm now identifying for you. Behold, 
That means see, behold, see the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's not just come to take away the sins of one or two. He's not just come to take away the sins of the very devout Jewish people who are following God. But he's come to take away the sins of the world. Behold, see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's making atonement. He's making a way that your sin and my sin can be covered over. Now, if we look at going back to the thing about blood, the early church used to celebrate communion, which we're very familiar with now. It's become part of standard Christian practice around the world in one form or another. They used to practice communion and the pagans and the people who didn't understand what they were doing would say, oh, they're drinking blood. This is terrible. You know, they're cannibals and they, you know, they found another way to kind of dismiss them as a crazy sect. But blood has become very much part of the Christian message. There are lots and lots and lots of songs in certain churches that talk about the blood of Jesus. And there's one it says, oh, the blood of Jesus Oh, the blood of Jesus, it washes white as snow. It's somehow the very idea that something as dark and red and kind of staining as blood, when we get it on our clothes, it needs special treatment to get it out. Somehow this blood that could wash us and make us white as snow is incredible. And Yet that's the picture that we see building up through the New Testament as the different writers talk about Jesus. They talk about his blood actually washing, making us clean. We've they, There's a, a reference to having washed their robes in his blood. And it's like, well, that surely would make them red rather than white. And yet there's this sense that, that the blood of Jesus has this power to remove every stain, every trace of sin from our lives. Now we know that turning over a new leaf is only so effective, it only does so much, but it certainly doesn't take care of all of the things we've done in the past. We might change um, for the better in some ways. We might start a new habit that's beneficial or we might have a develop a new mindset by turning over a new leaf. But what I was aware of as a child was it couldn't go back in time and take away the things that I'd done. And even as a young person growing up, the things that I cringe about now and the things I, I as an adult, I cringe about. And I think, oh God, you know, how far off being was I then? Yet the blood of Jesus doesn't just make me clean from today, but it goes back in time and takes all of my offences and all of my guilt and shame <clears throat> and cleans the whole picture up to present me somehow faultless before God. And the different different writers in the New Testament make this in, these incredible statements. And it talks in Hebrews chapter 9, it says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works or works that lead to death, 
to serve the living God. He's saying all of the stuff you understand from your history as Jewish people about the animal sacrifices and so on, how limited it was, and yet how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This moment in history, this thing that is so offensive, it's so provocative on every level, this idea that God himself would hang from a cross, that the very people he had made would put him there, would drive those nails into his hands, forcing out the blood from those veins. That even in that very action, the spear going into his side, it was necessary that his blood be poured out in this way because he is the Lamb of God. And he did all of this to make it possible for my conscience to be washed clean from all those things that make me deserve to be separated from God. They make me deserve to be separated from God and they make me deserve God's judgment and, and God's wrath. And yet, somehow, the blood of Jesus takes care of all of that and Paul the Apostle says in Romans chapter 5, he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he says, it, and, and this idea that there is nothing we can do to deserve it. There's nothing we can do to make Jesus' death count more for us other than to simply receive it. This is the incredible message of the cross. This is the message that has been the doorway to literally millions upon millions upon millions of people throughout history coming to find that peace with God, that sense of their sins forgiven and that confidence that God then puts in us that he has received us because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done the Christian faith is the only religion where you have to be bad enough to join. This is not a message for people who don't need forgiveness. This is the message for people who need forgiveness. And here today, the opportunity, even as you listen to me, that you can experience that freedom from your own sin. You can experience that peace with God through Jesus. This is God demonstrating his love for us. Paul says that God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we'd done anything, before we'd even thought about God, Jesus had died for us. And so for you, whoever you are today, if you're listening to this message and you think, do you know what, I like Jesus, but I just really, really am offended by this bloody cross this instrument of torture today let me explain this is for you this cross is for you this cross is the gateway to your freedom from sin to your entry point into relationship with God that begins on this earth 
and then continues on even after we pass from this life into the next one. So Jesus, the very spotless, sinless Jesus, the one who made those beautiful statements, the one who took the children in his arms, wants to take you in his arms today as you take hold of what he's done. And so here's the prayer that he is waiting to hear from your lips. And it goes like this. And if, you're, if you want to say this prayer, say it out loud with me. Lord Jesus, I believe you did all of that for me. I believe you went to the cross for me. I believe you endured that pain and that shame, that disgrace, that agony for me. And today I take this step of faith and I say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for every trace of sin and rebellion in my heart. That which has appeared as an action or a word or that which has just been in my heart as resentment, envy, greed, lust, covetousness. Lord, I confess those things to you now. And ask you to completely forgive me. And let me spend the rest of my life as a disciple. And be with you forever and ever when this life is done. Amen. God bless you everyone. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful, rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him but more than anything else that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops. Or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much.